And we're live. Welcome to another episode of the Brothers F Bookcast. Today we are discussing one of the greatest short stories of all time by Leo Tolstoy, Master and Man. Uh, so how's everyone been? Uh, I, for one, have had a very terrible week. Fran, you sound sick. You I sound sick. You sound very sick. I am sick. I'm like this is my dedication to podcasting that I'm here right now talking to my computer and you rather than like nursing a I should be I should be cozy. I should be wrapped in a blanket, slipping Theraflu. I love Theraflu. God, isn't Theraflu the best? Wait, isn't Theraflu that stuff that tastes like cherries though? No, it's orange. It's orangey. It's so good. Thank you. I'm pretty sure there's like labels on that to stop you from. No, it's not cough syrup. It's just tea. It's tea with vitamin C. I'm pretty sure. Oh, it's it's like it's like the energy energy C things, right? No, it's not. No, no, no. It's like a tea. It's 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 it's, you put the powder in the hot water and you get a tea and it tastes good and makes you feel better and it makes being sick okay. Yeah, that's that's a great summary, friend. It's like how mom used to feed us Jello when we were sick. You know. Medicinal properties of Jello, yet yet to be determined. But <laughs> you know, psycho psycho spiritual properties of Jello off the charts. You know what psycho spiritual medicine that has never done it for me? Hit me. Chicken soup. Totally. Mm-hmm. Oh, Fran, come on. That was one actually where it's like not only are there psycho spiritual effects, but there's also straight up effects like. It has everything you need just to make you nice and healthy. I think. Oh, Mr. MD, PhD. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I was about to say, here comes Mr. Science with, with his science. Okay, I'm sorry. I, you know, I'm just reflexively defending chicken soup because I love it. I think it's amazing. Does it actually have medicinal properties? Because I, I kind of don't believe it. No, I don't think it does. I think it does give you like a bunch of. Uh, ions that you're probably missing if you're sick. So, okay. Did yeah. you just say that sentence? It sounds fake. Ions? Yeah. That's not that crazy. Oh, really? What are ions? <laughs> Pretty straightforward. One thing is like a charged particle, right, Andrew? Oh wait, I know. Yeah, like salt, salt and potassium and magnesium and I don't know. Maybe I'm making that up, but it's I feel like that probably has a good balance. What's up, Frank? Electrolytes. Electrolytes, that's the better word. Wait, this is this is really cool because you know what we're doing here? What is it called? I think there's like a poem by Keats, I want to say. And in it, he says something along the lines of, it would be such a tragedy to unravel the rainbow. The idea being that like when scientists, and this was the 19th century, this is all very speculative. I'm going to have to look it up to confirm uh, when people were figuring out what exactly was happening when you saw a rainbow, Keats thought that took all the fun out of it, uh, and so so he wrote this he wrote this poem about that. I mean, there's truth in that, it. but also I, I feel like you know breaking down why chicken soup is good for you isn't like you know slaughtering some beautifully like intricate romantic thing. It's just chicken soup, right? Well, actually, this is unweaving unweaving the rainbow. Oh, okay. Can we all can we all be honest here? Jello has like no not nothing that is good for it in you. Yeah, but it could be rainbow colored. <laughs> but that's a, that's a good catch. No, Jello. Yeah, Jello is just easy on your stomach. I think if you have enough. Yeah, 
I think the benefit of Jello is that it's not going to hurt your system and it'll give you some energy. You know what's the most terrible part of being sick as as an adult? What? You don't have a parent to just take care of you. (laughs) You're just like, you're just on your own, right? There's no one to really like pamper you and love you. You're just sick. Yeah, it's, it's so funny, the things that get inverted, right? But it's definitely true that when you're young, getting sick is awesome, right? Because you get to stay home from school. But then, you know, you get to college and you realize, wow, getting sick is not that good. <laughs> you know, like, I <laughs> everything I had to do. And I feel crummy. Yeah. It's worse. Yeah. But let me ask the, the rationalists in the room, I'll leave that label up for, you know, up for the claiming. Do you think it's bad to unweave the rainbow? Because I'm pretty sure Richard Dawkins wrote a book about this. And he was like, no, that that poet was wrong. Like, it's actually great to understand these things. And I'm not sure. I think I might side with Dawkins on that one, actually. I I, I don't know. Do you guys think it takes the magic out of it a little bit? Uh. Not to out myself as the rationalist, but I feel like I was being targeted there. Uh, (laughs) But I think, you know, if you take something which is meant to be sort of wishy-washy and try to shoehorn it into equations and understanding, then you're doing something really bad. Because, okay, sure, if you try to understand the rainbow by, like, breaking down how light works, understand the equations, and getting sort of awed by the science of it, that's great. If you instead are approaching the rainbow as a as like a beautiful thing which impacts people and is symbolic for many different cultures in many different ways and then try to reduce that to something like easily digestible in the textbook then you're doing something wrong right guys i just googled on weaving the rainbow and the first thing that comes up is a, a whole book uh a book by richard dawkins yeah yeah i mentioned that but no it is a poem he is talking about this uh, or John Keats, maybe it's not a poem, but John Keats, well-known, I'm quoting from Wikipedia here, his starting point is John Keats' well-known, lighthearted accusation that Isaac Newton destroyed the poetry of the rainbow by reducing it to the prismatic colors. And because they're British, yes, they spell colors with a U. Hmm, don't like it. No, British British spellings are legit better. I think they're oh. cool. Like it's classier. I think it's just too much, like color, you know. Color. I mean, you know, it that way. How do how do they, how do the British say color? They say just say color, I think. No, but they have an accent. They, they there must there must be like a like how would Hugh Grant say color? Color. That sounds pretty good, Andrew. Oh, thank you, Punch. Well, you were you Punch. You're the one who was living in England for a while. What's uh? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I'm a little self-conscious about my accents. Although I've told, I've been told that now my British accent's decent. Mm. I feel like if you're immersed in it, you start to pick it up. Uh, right now I'm living in Philly, and the Philly accent is, like, I, I still can't imitate it. It's very tough. It's it's like a very slippery fish. It's tough to grab onto, but distinctive, too. And when I hear it now, I think it's it's pretty, pretty uh, hilarious, actually. I'm a fan. Actually, a fun thing that came up with accents recently, which I'll share, is, um, let's see, our niece and nephew were in town, whose names I will change to Joe and Jane. Um, 
and they were in the backyard and we started playing this game where I pretended to be an Australian like wildlife videographer and they would sort of hide in the treehouse and I would come out and I'd say, we're on the lookout for very furtive animal, you know, and I would sort of like zoom in and I say, that's a confirmed sighting. That is a confirmed sighting. And then as they, uh, as they would sort of come out of their shell a little bit, they would start chasing me and eventually they would start eating me. And as they were eating me, I would say, it's such a privilege to see this footage. Uh, that sort of, that sort of thing. So I had some fun with that accent. That's pretty good. Kids. What, what are Australian and English accents that are better for wildlife documentaries? Like something like even even uh, even Morgan Friedman can't compete with David Attenborough. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. How much of that is conditioning kind of like a monopoly on the market, and he's kind of stuck it. No one's ever going to want to do a nature documentary without David Attenborough. Yeah, well, I think obviously these things become kind of circular, right? Because you watch Planet Earth, which is like such a beautiful thing, and then it kind of gets fixed in your mind. Yeah, but I don't know when I hear nature docs narrated by American like voice actors, it sort of changes the vibe for me. Like things become less about like the beauty of nature and science and more about like, hell yeah, let's watch this wolf eat a bear, you know? Wow. Well, that's very reductive. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's, that's totally on point. That is how Americans narrate nature documentaries. There's <laughs> like zero respect. It's like, you know, like, you know what? This polar bear is really cool. It would be even cooler if there were a guy with a shotgun chasing the polar bear with an ATV. <laughs> That's horrible. You know what? Um, if you ever, like, flip on National Geographic, the National Geographic channel, all those documentaries without British voices, I'm telling you, they don't make it. I think they're good. I think they're good. So long as the person has a decent voice. But yeah. like that's for anything. So long as like that's for anything. Yeah. So speaking of unweaving the rainbow, uh, I know we kind of transitioned away from that topic, but it occurred to me just now that I read um, the short story for today, Master and Man, in the in an unweaving the rainbow context because I read it as part of a. Uh, a book by George Saunders called A Swim in a Pond in the Rain, where he he dissects short stories and explains why they work and why they don't. So this, this in my opinion, is a very brilliant short story. It's very engaging. Um, and he he gave it his sort of a, his full uh, analysis as, you know, one of the uh, better regarded uh, short story writers of, of today. And I have to say... Uh, his analysis of the short story did nothing to diminish my enjoyment of it. So maybe at least when it comes to literature, maybe it is okay to unweave the rainbow a little bit. Yeah. You know, I had this debate with someone when it came to, uh, they were talking about leisure, I guess. And they were saying like, leisure is better if you don't, essentially if you don't unweave the rainbow, if you're less calculating about it. And then I said, well, what about program notes at like a concert? If you go to a classical music concert, I feel like the program notes are awesome. And I feel like you got, you kind of got the program notes on Tolstoy here, Fran. You enjoyed it. I, uh, I enjoy the program notes at concerts. So yeah, I don't mind them weaving the rainbow a bit. Only you would enjoy the program notes at concerts. No, it's cool because you read about the composer's life and you see, uh, you know, the time in which it was being written, which is like, that's all. 
No, I'm with you, Wanch. I think they add a lot to it. But I, I think the danger here about the unweaving the rainbow word is that it means different things to different people. So if you you if you view unweaving the rainbow as breaking things down and understanding them on a more interesting and deeper and fundamental level, then great, unabashedly good thing. If you view unweaving the rainbow as taking something everyone loves and being like, well, actually, let's break down what it really is at its core and just being like very cold and clinical about it, then you're doing something really bad. Mm -hmm. That's a good catch. It does mean different things to different people. I mean, can you actually unweave the rainbow? Like, you know, you just keep going down to a a more, uh, like a smaller and smaller levels of understanding, right? I mean, we, we still don't really understand how light works, do we? Like, you know, I'm sure there's many things about the about light and rainbows that are still mysterious to us. That's actually a great point, Fran. It's kind of like you're just passing the buck. That I'm passing the buck? No, 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 no. Like, uh, if if you claim to be unweaving the rainbow, you're not really. You're just looking at a at a finer grained rainbow, right? Well, yeah, isn't there and isn't there still a mystery of like how we perceive the rainbow? How we have brains that are able to perceive these colors and then experience awe upon seeing them? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you know, I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like rainbows are not in any danger of being ruined by science. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. Though people who are like too into like, you know, people who join, you know, wear t-shirts that say, I effing love science, they probably need to be bullied more. (laughs) You you love ripping on people who wear those t-shirts. What t-shirt? I effing love science. Oh. (laughs) This has come up before on this podcast. Really? What? I guess, well, it's, it's a little hypocritical of me as someone who is like, running a podcast about literature to call for more bullying to people who are into nerdy things, <laughs> you know, like whatever I, I will own it. Like I, I have a, I have a double standard. No, I'm with you. I think it's kind of annoying. Sorry to any listeners who own that t-shirt. Um, I also think t-shirts with questions on them should be blanket statement here. Mostly out of play, I think. I don't think I don't think I don't think I've ever seen a t-shirt with a question on it and been like, wow, that's a great t-shirt. Well, let me ask Andrew is the only person who is like remotely connected to the science world. Do any actual practitioners of science wear cringe t-shirts like that? I feel like you just slighted one Carlos there. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know that she's like math. Math is not science. It's used in science, but it's a whole... Yeah, I mean, his shtick is like... I guess you're right. He's just doing pure math now. He's not in a lab. He's not like, you know... He's not like in there with pipettes and like, you know... Like he's... Yeah, you're right. Math is... Anyways, besides the point. I will say the majority of people in science that I see do not wear I effing love science t-shirts or anything of that genre. But there's maybe an enrichment from the general population, if I had to guess. So there's like the occasional quirky person who has like a bunch of backpacks, like pins and stickers on a laptop and has a bit of a brand out of watching the Big Bang Theory, which is fine. I have nothing against the TV show. Oh, it's awful. Uh, it's one of the worst shows. <laughs> oh, come on. I, I could never get into it. Um, What's the Big Bang Theory? Gosh, it's a TV show. It's like a sitcom about a bunch of nerds in an apartment. Um, and that's about as much as I know about it. Yeah, think think like um, I don't know. 
it's I want to I want to say it's like friends with fewer women and more nerds, um, <laughs> but I don't think I don't think the man which ever saw friends. No, yeah, that's before your time. Friends is also terrible. So what I what I don't see why you have against is uh stickers on laptops. I'm not, against them. I'm not against stickers on laptops. I'm against particular messages. Okay. No, I'm with you, friend. I would say, though, that it's not like, oh, the really cool people who are actually scientists aren't ever annoying about, you know, being into science. I, I, I'm, I'm more with Andrew, I think. Like, probably a fair smattering of scientists own and wear I effing love science t-shirts. But not the majority. In fact, the majority majority solidly do not wear t-shirts like that and just like go to lab and do their work and then go home, right? They don't make it like an aspect of their brand. I mean, can we punish them in some way for doing that? Like, (laughs) can we like deny them tenure or like get them (laughs) a asshole in their dissertation committee or something? I mean... Well, there you have it. You have from the field, Andrew, with his with his observations <laughs> about scientist behavior. Observations, Moish. Very nice. Scientific process. Very nice. Thank you, fifth grade science teacher. I think, I think this is quickly becoming an extremely critical podcast episode. So I, I think I a lot think, of negativity in the air. I think we should. People want, people want the negativity. Hmm. They want people want the hot takes. They want they want they want they want someone to attack. You Wait, need to call this a lukewarm take last podcast though. What? Uh, Instead of it being hot take, it was lukewarm or whatever. Lukewarm take. A lukewarm take is just like an okay take. Then what's that? What? what? Uh, okay, so Fran's hot take is that. The hotness of takes doesn't it doesn't correlate with their controversiality. No, that's not even true. I don't know. I, I, look, it's it's mixed. Sometimes when people say it's a hot take, they mean it's a good take, and sometimes when people say it's a hot take, they mean it's a controversial take. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I, I'm walking back my previous statement. Okay, wow. good. What a coward. Yeah, that's me, man. I'm you have it, brothers. F the cowards podcast. Oh. Guys, I'm so beat down. I'm so miserably sick. <laughs> my, my shoulder was, I was already hurt from lifting at the gym. And then I further hurt my shoulder, moving all the new stuff into, into uh, when I, and moving all our stuff into the new house. I'm like, I'm at rock bottom. Okay. I'm going to say nasty things about people. Dig deep, friend. Friend, I think you're single-handedly bringing black, back the Black Plague. The Black Plague? Oh. Well, I don't know. Like, who should I spread it to? Like, like whom? Like, where should I go? Oh, timely, timely question, friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, let's talk about the story. Well, yeah, it's actually appropriate that we're talking about uh, a potentially deadly disease because this this is a story about mortality. Before we proceed, I want to make a confession. I had a terrible week and I did not do the reading. All right, let's bully side, uh, bully side Juancho a little bit. Juancho, Juancho's making tisk tisk noises. Oh, that's yeah. atrocious. Oh, oh, <laughs> sorry. Wait, it sounded much better in person. Okay, that okay. I'm just gonna let that go. 
Um, that's fine. You, you know, you Carlos, I just find it so absurd that you wouldn't do the reading. Um, I just, it's really unconscionable. I can't believe that you would come to the episode unprepared to, to, to discuss everything. Yes, Moose, you disrespect. No, I feel bad for you. You missed out on a great one. I know, and I really like Tolstoy. Hmm. This is better than a lot of other stuff he's written, to be honest. Like, I like this a lot better than The Death of Ivan Ilyich. I don't like Ivan Ilyich that much, but I like Anna Karenina so much that it raises, like, the whole, the entire Tolstoy bar, like 10x. It's crazy. All right, fair, fair enough. I, I, fair enough. Um, anyway, this one's really good. So remember the other day how I told you guys when we were talking about Chekhov's in the cart, how I liked the stakes of in the cart. They were very human. Yeah. Right. Like, do you get to marry the rich, good-looking person? So <laughs> the stakes, the stakes in uh, Master and Man are who's going to die. Is Master going to die? Is Man going to die? Or are both going to die? And horse that's going to die. Don't forget about the horse. Yeah, horse. I, I, I will confess to Karen slightly having not been as sucked in by the uh, the stakes for the horse. Well, I okay. actually- now it's confession time for me. Uh, I, I sort of piled on Juan Carlos not having done the reading because I thought it was funny. But I, for my part, have only done 90% of the reading. God, so, I still don't know who anyone dies. I even did the reading. You did the reading. Okay, I had an exam yesterday. Thank oh. you very much. I've been busy. Like, oh my gosh, cut me some slack. Well, I look, the reading, Andrew. You have no excuse. So I, I, I'm doing the reading. Why, why do you think I was so quiet during the banter? Is that I was at that point finishing part of the reading, okay. and I'm almost there. Well, now you don't know who dies. No, but isn't that exciting? Do you want me to spill the beans? No. Well, I guess we have to before I end. I feel bad because we're going to ruin the story for Huanj. Um, That's okay. You guys got to forge ahead. It's my fault. I'll own it. I'll read it and I'll enjoy it. It's so, but it really gets you. That's the thing. Like you're reading through the story and it's like, oh, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And then he has like this moment. Wait, maybe Wait, let's try something. Did you like? Did you like the story? Because I need to hear positive things about the story. Because I really love the story. I really liked it too. I thought it was really cool. Thank you. I'm enjoying it a lot right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for real, I'm, the thing Fran mentioned about there being the suspense, like who's going to die, is super, super real. Like I just got to the point where, like you know, the 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 man was about to die and his master came back and wasn't supposed to be there and realized he was about to die and like is like i'm gonna save this man's life and like you know like lies on top of him to try to conserve warmth in the winter cold so uh, what was your suggestion before we oh well, i was gonna say this is actually a bad idea but i'll voice it anyway why what if we only revealed it at the end to keep the listener and yes, that's singular. No, I'm just kidding. We have more than one listener. What if we only revealed it at the end? Hey, that sounds cool. Well, I mean, that's kind of how it naturally works. So let's let's start with the, to summarizing the story. So there's this landowner, Vasily uh, uh, Brukunov, and there's this peasant that works for him, Nikita. And uh, the defining thing about uh, Nikita and, and Brugnov, okay, uh, so Vasily is kind of a jerk. Like, that's his defining quality. Like, he's kind of almost like a Scrooge figure. 
Like he's very wealthy. He's very concerned with money. And um, he's got this deal going on. And he uh, knows that he's basically got the opportunity to take advantage of the seller. But if other buyers start showing up, he's going to lose that opportunity. So he's just, even though it's a holiday, he's deciding that he's going today. Right? Like this is like, um, you know, like this is like, this is like the TV movie dad who decides he needs to work on Christmas Eve, basically. Um, Which kind of gives this a bit of a hallmark idea of like, you know, oh, mega busy man, busy, 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 business, business. And then like, you know, the sort of working class dude who, you know, had a tough life, but he's really good at heart. Yeah, Tolstoy does this stuff where like he, I I feel like he really over romanticizes peasants. It's kind of annoying. (laughs) Like Nikita, Nikita is like, he's a recovering alcoholic. Um, he's a hard worker. He's a good worker. He knows that um, Silly is taking advantage of him financially, uh, but he doesn't really have a way out of that. Um, he knows that his wife is having an affair, but he doesn't care. Yeah. So he, yeah, he's kind of almost a little bit of a pathetic figure, right? Like he's being, uh, he's being cucked by this other guy who's living with his wife and he still sends her money. Um but anyway, he uh, he's um, like if, if this were a movie version, like I think he'd probably be played by Liam Neeson. Ooh, who's mm. no? Actually, if you have a if you have a, a a movie called Master and Man, and you cast Liam Neeson, I think Liam Neeson needs to be the master. Um, yeah, I think that fit better. I feel like Liam Neeson is too alpha to be the man. You know. I think Nikita's a little bit alpha. Well, maybe not because he's got he's got he's he's subsidizing his wife and and his wife's lover. So. Yeah, well, not in that sense. I yeah. mean, I see where you're coming from and calling him alpha. He's like definitely an honorable man, but he's kind of like bottom of the totem pole, right? So I feel like playing him with someone who's like handsome and strong would kind of like you know undercut it a little bit. It needs to be someone who's a little more. What, yeah, you know, maybe maybe a, a maybe like a dude who like looks a little bit, a little bit more worn around the edges. What's the guy? I'm trying to remember his name. Um, William H. Macy. Do you guys know that guy? No, I'm terrible with actors. Well, Google him right now. So you can have a mental image of Nikita. Who is it? William H. Macy. So basically, William. Oh, Fran, you know what? I'm with you on this. Yeah. I totally see it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so Liam Neeson and William Macy are leaving on a, a holiday. And because uh, we're not Russian, we're just going to say it's Christmas. Even, and, you know, there's snow. It's not actually Christmas, but let's just, let's just say it's Christmas. Because um, th- this, this, uh, this story also has very strong uh, uh, Christmas carol energy. But uh, they're leaving on a sleigh to go and race to make this deal. And you know what? It's a bad idea. Uh, Vasily's wife, uh, excuse me, Liam Neeson's wife, says it's a bad idea. But he decides to press on and he leaves. And uh, several times as they're going, uh, the road is hard to follow because it's, it's snowing. And they, they um, on, on several occasions, they get a little, they get turned around and they end up in this town. And each time they're at this town, there's a chance to turn back. There's, there's a chance for Vasily to be like, you know what? 
I could become even richer and that would be great, but it's probably not worth dying for. I should probably just spend the night here and I can go get the deal tomorrow morning. But no, the guy's so obsessed with money. He's such a jerk that he decides to press on. So the first time they leave the town, they get lost and they end up back at the town and they stay at this place and they get tea and they're, they're warm and there's a chance to do the smart thing and stay, but they don't do it. So they go out for the last time. Certainly, it seems like to their death. And, and I, you know what, guys? It's, it, I, may be, I may be misremembering some of the details of how many times they got lost or whatever. I read the story a couple weeks ago. But whatever. They're, they're, they, they press on and they get really lost. And it gets starts snowing more and more. And the, the sled gets stuck, and they realize that they're going to have to spend the night there. And um, Vasily is, has a freak-out moment, and he's like, you know what? Wait, friend, 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 hold up. You're missing the part where, like, you know, when they set out, the snow was bad, but it didn't look so bad. And once they started going, like, they realized it's pretty nasty out, but it didn't seem so ridiculous. And um, part of getting lost, they went to some other random small town. Uh, they get there by accident, and okay, they know where they need to go, so they set out, and they accidentally double back because they get lost in the snow. And the second time, they're in the same small town, and there, somebody welcomes them in, says, "Oh, come by the fire, warm yourselves up, or feed them some tea, some vodka, give them a warm place, and say it's too dangerous, so you should stay the night." And Nikita really wants to stay the night because he's like, "I don't want to go back out there," but he's the man; he's not the master. And the master's like, no, we have to go make the money. What he uses the line, it's like uh, an hour lost is is not made up in a year or something. Some yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a key point. It's like they had a chance to not die. And he was like, I got to make the money. And then he pushes on again. And this that that brings us back to where Fran was talking. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. So I think I think I did cover that briefly but not as in much detail as you did so thanks for bringing that back around it might be so they're out there on the sleigh and, and it's dark and it's cold and they get they get pulled off the road yet again and uh i believe the sleigh ends up in a ditch and they're stuck and it's cold and it's dark and they don't know where they are and it's clear that they're gonna have to spend the night and there's a very good chance that they're gonna freeze to death at which point Vasily. uh does not stop being an asshole, right? He continues to be like, you know, like he continues with levels of sociopathy that shouldn't even be possible. And he's like, you know what? I'm a rich dude. I've got a lot of nice things going on. I have an heir. This guy, on the other hand, he sucks. His life sucks. I underpay him. He, he, you know, he's being cucked. He has nothing to live for. So I'm going to make a run for it and see if I can get, you know, get somewhere, get back on the road, get to somewhere warm. And if he dies while I'm gone, well, so be it. So he, you know, like an idiot, he runs around in circles out there and eventually comes back to the sleigh. And and there's this moment where he realizes that this is it. Like he's not, you know, he's spending the night out here and he lays down on the, uh, on Nikita. He covers him with his body to keep him warm. So, you know, part of the underlying drama of the story isn't just who's going to die. It's can like can a real jerk stop being a jerk, right? Wait, but Fran, you're missing that part. Sorry. What about you? Well, well, you're you well, you kind of skipped over this part where like 
um, what's his name? Valis, Vas, Val, Vasili. Vasili has like this moment where he's like, like, oh shoot, like I've been a jerk kind of all my life. I've only been worried about my money, only like been worried about like the next property I'm going to buy. Like, oh, like I built up this company from what my dad had, you know, like he, he realizes he's only been worrying about that. But then he sees, um, he sees, what's his name? Uh, Nakiti? Nikita. Nikita. And he's like, oh, shoot, like, this guy's about to die. I, and then he just, like, gives up his coat, puts it on him, and lays on Nakita. Yes. Yeah, or- so, so all that, like, type A energy he had that he, he put into, like, advancing himself materially and becoming richer, he just transfers all that energy that has been heretofore used purely selfishly, and he uses it to save his servant's life. And uh, spoiler alert, uh, Nikita lives, and Vasily does not. What? That's crazy. So I just finished the story. Ah! Um, (laughs) (laughs) And it ends super well. Yeah. It ends as, as friends spoiled. Yeah, it can not end on a cliffhanger. It ends like in the, I don't know. Yeah, it ends up. So basically, uh, the story like says like, and then um, Valisi, like Vasily, uh, like has like like this like vision of like someone coming to get him, and he's like all excited to go, go and get him, and then it cuts to like what's his name, um, Nikita. It cuts to him, uh, like, growing old, and then he dies, and then the story ends, like, but who came to call Makita? Um, we shall soon see, or something like that. Yeah. It's not really a cliffhanger, though. It just, like, and whether he woke in the arms of his savior, or if he, or if he went to hell, I guess we'll never know, right? It's that's, not meant to like draw you close, like farther along in the story. It's meant to sort of just put a close to it and say, like, "Oh, we don't know." Well, in some ways, that's the ultimate cliffhanger. It's like, yeah. what kind of afterlife are you going to have? Sorry, guys. That's <laughs> you have such a dramatic phone. Uh, uh, what is it? Ringtone, Fran. Fran. That was really funny. Is that his ringtone? What is that from? <laughs> I have no idea. It sounds like it's from Frozen or something. <laughs> I thought we make fun of Fran for having a ringtone from Frozen. I don't think oh, it's from Frozen. It sounded like maybe... it's actually, Guys, it's actually the score to the movie version of Master and Man. <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. What part of the story does that... Does that pertain to though? <laughs> when when uh, Valisi is like, ha ha, I live such a great life. This guy's a jerk. Da 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 da. Fred, I'm just. You are so dedicated to the pod. I just that blows my mind. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Right, that's not the score. I know, I know. What's it from? It's the standard ringtone you get on my Android. I, I got. I miss iPhone so much. <laughs> yeah that's another that's another uh what's it what's the german leitmotif in our pod <laughs> you know what i'm just gonna say this for non-tech savvy people apple products are just better yeah i i feel like it's a funny thing because depends on what you want out of life if you want 
the simpler thing, which is maybe slightly pricier, but like does everything you need and just works super smoothly, Apple is just unbeatable. But if you're a stickler about that, you're kind of getting stiffed when it comes to technology that you can get, theoretically speaking, a better camera and like a slicker hardware, I don't know, and like better memory for a cheaper price, then Android is unquestionably better, you know? I, I, I want the paternalism. Yeah, right. The paternalism is nice. I'm also a fan of the paternalism. Like that's why I have an iPhone too. This is not something you hear every day. Paternalism? <laughs> question mark? Paternalism is like a higher power that's sort of making choices for you. Okay. you not a very good connotation. Um, Fran, I want to circle back and ask you, what did George Saunders say about this story? I mean, you described it. It sounded like a good story, but what made it so oh, amazing sick. to you? You've got to read it. Thank you, Manwich. Thank you. Um, what makes it good? I mean, it's just like, don't overthink it too much. It's like, like he picked good stakes. Like, okay. like, the, like who's going to die? Great stakes. Uh, can, can a person stop being evil? Also great stakes, right? So we're all concerned with our mortality, right? You know, if you drive at all, you occasionally, you know, the other day, some maniac on the highway cut me off, you know, you know, you know, one of those guys, Every once in a while, you'll be on the highway, and there's this one guy who treats the highway like it's his own personal Mario Kart. <laughs> like a GTA, he's weaving back and forth. Yeah, like you're checking, you're checking in the mirror to see if he has any like red turtle shells back there. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, he's like you know, like zipping and dodging and weaving. Like maybe Mario Kart's the wrong video game. It was no, 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 no. I, I, I totally agree. With you. Like, you see the guy driving like a maniac. They're like, wow, he's such a maniac. I wouldn't be that surprised. If his car pooped a banana right now. <laughs> well, anyway, so he, he's, he diagonals in front of me, right? Like, you know, totally oblivious. Like, it certainly felt like he was going to hit me. So, like, the mortality, it's a thing that we all encounter on a daily basis. And the older you get, the more salient to be good. So it's, it's, it's a good theme, right? In general, if you have a story where there's a character you care about at all, and there's a chance that they're going to die, or even better, there's someone you don't like, like, I really didn't like Vasily, and it's like, oh, good, is he going to die? <laughs> like, it, but part of the genius of the story is Tolstoy makes you feel like an asshole for wanting Vasily to die, because then he makes Vasily a good guy and kills him anyway. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, which is really snaky of him. But could we, like, talk about that transition of Vasily from, like, really an incurably bad asshole into actually a savior? Well, no, so I don't think it's that big of a transition, right? So, like, Vasily, Vasily is, like, the type A personality, essentially what he is, right? Like, he's greedy, but he's also, like, he, he like he's a boss, but he'd be the ideal employee, right? He's the guy who's like, I don't care that it's a holiday. I'm, I'm taking the slat and I'm closing the deal, even if I have to die trying, right? Like, really, you know, on-the-ball guy really hardworking, really dedicated, right? So he takes that energy and just turns it in a different direction. So it didn't seem to me uh, to be, and this is, this is, uh, I'm not gonna, you know what, I shouldn't say it didn't seem to me. This is George Saunders' analysis. The, the reason in a George Saunders' opinion that the transformation is even somewhat credible is that Vasily isn't changing fundamentally who he is, right? He's the guy who likes to take charge, but he's finally using his powers for good. That's cool. Okay. 
You know, I when when I was reading it, I mean George Saunders he knows a lot more about writing than I do. But when I was reading it, I felt like that transition was a big transition. Like here's this guy who all his life has been a total jerk. And then comes along, um, and what ends up happening? Like he has this big moment where he's like, Oh geez, I've been a jerk all my life. I could die right now. I should really be nicer. Sees a guy that's about to die, helps him. You you know what I mean? Well, you know, either it was going to be both of them or he could save Nikita's life. Although I like the framing as a type A thing, right? Because it, it's less like, oh, no, I must lay down my life for you. And more like, who gave you permission to die, you know? Yeah, he's like, you're, you're still working for me, buddy. <laughs> Not on my watch. Yeah. But it is heartwarming, you know, like this guy who's, who's just been all money, money, money the whole time is like, oh, well, looks like Nikita's about to die. And again, like right before his own death, like he tried to betray Nikita by riding out into the snow with the horse to leave him for, 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 for dead. And he circles back because he gets lost and that ends up being his own salvation. Well, you know, I, I don't think anyone on this pod is a uh, Vasily level asshole, but I think we all have, um, I think we all have like deep seated character defects and, and one of our central concerns is can I change, right? So that, yeah. that the funny thing here is that he, like by Saunders analysis, he didn't even change. It was just like, oh, there came a situation where his character defect ended up serving towards a beautiful and self and self-giving thing well no i mean he he changed right i mean changing the direction of that energy is a big change yeah you're right um so i mean i think that's another part of what makes the story compelling it's like you know it's it's that who's going to die and can i change question or can he change but i mean ultimately you know I mean, these questions are interesting insofar as they're relevant to your life. Yeah, no, I agree. Every time you're asking, can he change, in a story at least, implicitly you're asking, can I change? Yeah, or, you know, uh, you know, can, uh, <laughs> can, my, uh, can my spouse change? Can... <laughs> Careful, friend. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's probably a question that gets asked about me uh, rather than by me more often. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's funny. Um, but yeah. You know, yeah, I hope. I hope I, we should have given the warning to like go read the go read the story before listening to the pod. But at this point, it's too late. It's really great though. But you know, yeah. But I feel like okay. Even if you lose this the suspense of like, oh, who's going to die? It's still an enjoyable story to read. I feel like people overstate the the damage that spoilers do in general. Yeah, they do a lot of damage. Like eighty percent of my initial enjoyment of the story was waiting for Vasily to get his comeuppance. Um, Wait, we've discussed this, uh, and we have. I think spoilers are a big deal, but other people do. I think they're a big deal. I don't. I'm with Andrew. No, that's a total lie. Because right now you're going to read that short story and you're not going to feel the same way. Like, like Fred says, I really wanted Vasily to get it 
right there. But but uh, sometimes I gotta say, or often when I read something a second time, I enjoy it so much more. Maybe that's not related to spoilers, but it's like even if it's spoiled, I can still enjoy it a lot. Yeah, but I feel like a second read is different than having someone spoil it for you. A priori, that's true. That's true. I just maybe maybe what I'm trying to say is it's more about the journey than the destination. Huh? Yeah. Well, that that's kind of uh, appropriate given that uh, Vasily and Nikita never got there. True. True. Well, maybe, we don't know if Nikita didn't get there. Maybe he did get there. I mean, he survived, but they didn't go like close the business deal. Like Vasily's dead. Maybe he inherited it at all. No, no, no. He has no desire to go to that random small town after he like his master's done. Like, what is he going to do there? I don't know. Vibe. Fran, I want to talk you about something that you've mentioned a couple of different times now, which I think is a very nice analysis, is this idea of stakes. Like, I've never boiled a short story down to stakes before, but I think it's a good move. Um, well, listen, if you're, trying, if you're trying to get someone interested in a book, uh, like, there are tricks that writers play, right? One of the common tricks is, like, uh, is this person going to get money? Right? Like that stakes that's going to matter to a lot of people. Uh, is this person going to die? Like, is this person uh, going to find love? Like, these are very easy kind of hacks to like get a person to care about a character. At least for me, it's like, you know, like in the card, it's like, you know, oh, like she has a chance to find love and get money at the same time. I'm interested. Like, mm-hmm. I like it. I, I guess. I agree. No, but I'm with I'm with Wanch. It's definitely like a lens with which you can view stories, but it's like a useful one and can help you pick apart what's going on. Yeah, you know, ultimately, I don't want to. I don't know. I'm 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 very ambivalent about uh, the usefulness of these heuristics or these lenses for looking at stories. Like uh, a while back. Um, I, I read uh, I read a book about like like sort of like a hacky way to write novels, and the thesis of this book is that you can if you're going to write novels for um, if you're going to self publish novels if you're going to monetize that you need to write novels pretty quickly and you need to write a lot of novels and the way to do that is to outline the novels. Right, it's a lot faster to, to to write a novel that you've outlined than to write a than to to write a novel off the cuff. To you know, yeah. yeah. But I mean, I feel like if your goal is monetization, there's like a type of novel you would write which is totally different than sort of like the artistic novel. Well, well, hold up, hold up. So th- I'm not I'm not actually to the point I was trying to make. So like this person's main thesis, and I think there's actually a lot of truth to it. Is that many stories, many novels, uh, even many great novels? A very common trope in the novel is the novel centered around the character transformation of the protagonist. All right, and this is true of everything from great literature to Marvel movies. Um, but I feel like that's—I mean, I—I I feel like that's a as earth-shaking of an observation as you make it out to be. Well, I mean, any story will just sort of inherently have a level of character change over time. I will just cop to the fact that I had not noticed it before, 
But there's in many movies and, and, and frankly, in many novels, there's a very formulaic way in which the novel progresses around the character and the character is transforming in some way. So uh, A Christmas Carol, right? Scrooge, like the, the, the story is about, you know, Christmas Eve and three ghosts and, you know, all the cool sights and sounds and special effects. But what the story is really about is Scrooge's character transformation, right? Like he goes from being, a, you know, a curmudgeon and a miser to someone generous and warm-hearted, right? Uh, similarly, let's think. Let's let's pick another. Let's pick another story. Uh, Anna Karenina. What? Anna Karenina. You know what? I'm just going to cop to the fact that I've never read it out Anna Karenina. So you're- yeah, okay. Well, none of us have read Anna Karenina except for you. It's so. so good. It's so good. I think I've said this before in the pod. I want to repeat it. William Faulkner, I mean, this is maybe mythical. William Faulkner was once asked what the three greatest novels were, and he said, Anna Karenina, Anna Karenina, and Anna Karenina. Well, you know what, dude? I'm going to read it even though it's a bazillion pages long, and then we'll cover it on the pod. It's so good. No, I really, really love it. That was one that, like, the first read, uh, I was like, I like it. And the second read was, like, totally knocked me off my feet. Anyway, Anna Karenina is about this woman. No, 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 no. You know what? I don't want to hear this analysis because I'm one of those people who think spoilers matter. Okay. It's about a woman named Anna Karenina. And <laughs> did that spoil it, friend? Just don't, Okay. Uh, give me more. Give me more, Wunsch. Spoil <laughs> I, the whole thing. Who I dies? Who gets married? I don't even want to start tiptoeing up the hill, which would lead me to the cliff of spoiling this novel. All right, let's let's pick another um, another story. Um, like basically any movie you watch, this is going to be the formula. True. Like, uh, <coughs> okay, ready, friend? Heavyweights. Heavyweights. Um, it's about the character transformation of that. The, the, I would say the protagonist is the fat counselor, and it's about him gaining confidence and self acceptance. He yeah. goes from also Gardner Gerald, one hundred forty one pounds, weight loss goal nineteen pounds. <laughs> hey, what about what about um, uh, the Emperor's New Groove? Obvious. It's the the emperor who becomes a llama and then realizes that he should be a the time. That's possibly master man. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It's the same. Yeah, it's 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 like can this guy stop being a jerk? It's the same premise of the same character transformation of master and man. Um, actually, it's it's kind of the same story. <laughs> <laughs> so the big takeaway from today's pod episode is that master and man is just a riff on the emperor's new groove. Well, except in emperor's new groove, no one dies. Hmm. But it is dangerous. Except for the lady who's stuck as being a kitten until that weird sequel which they made, which just... No, uh, but Yzma, Yzma doesn't die. She's fine. I know, but, but she's stuck being a cat. Wow. Isn't that some kind of death of the self? To have changed bodies? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm not, not going to dignify that one with a with grass. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> No, what other books can we do? This is a this is a useful. Wait, Harry Potter, Harry Potter, right? Harry mm-hmm. Potter is this powerless dweeb who has this terrible life, and his transformation is from from someone who is totally powerless to someone who is actually incredibly powerful. Right? It's his it's his it's his transformation. It like the the, the compelling thing about Harry Potter 
in part is him transforming from someone who is being bullied and lives in a cupboard to this incredibly important wizard who ultimately defeats like the you know Mr. Evil. I like, mean, I don't know. I, I feel like that framing is just yeah. mm. no. It's 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 reductive. But if if you once you've seen the framing, like you stop, you start spotting it everywhere, and it kind of sucks. Like it like no, but again, again, I don't think this is like. I mean, I feel like you've taken an observation which would necessarily apply to like every situation. No, I mean, you know what? I don't say that because I'm sure there are stories and novels where there is no character transformation. Really, a whole novel where they have a story where you were they were, were supposed to believe these are like reasonable and believable characters, and they wouldn't change at all in response to anything. Well, it's it's not just the character changing, right? It's like a moral change in the character. Like the character has a flaw, right? It's not just the framing of characters change, right? The character has a flaw that's e- either overcome or not, and that's the central drama of the story. All right. Well, so, we can leave the listener to think about that and the stories that they've read. Mm, yes, chew on that, listener. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, we, listen. It's 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 a thi- it's definitely a thing, and it's 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 like the lower the form of art, the more of a thing it is. It's definitely a thing, but I'm with Andrew in that it's not a surprising thing. Um. Well, I, I will say this: I never thought about it that way until I read that book. Okay, that's fair. Maybe it's a useful. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. The framework. Yeah. Cool, Fran. Well, your your comment about like. A successful novelist will just outline things and then put out like a lot of content. Um, no, the no, only no, thing no. that popped into my head. It's a monetization strategy for people who who write for uh, for the Kindle e-reader. Right? There's a whole world of novels that are written for Kindle. Like, and there's people who, you know, they 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 pump these things out and they quit their day jobs. Like they they'll write romance novels for Kindle. And they'll write, an, but and they'll write them in series, and they'll write enough of them that they, you know, they can make a living doing it. But it's a competitive world, and you need to write a lot. Yeah, but it's sort of like a workhorse kind of writing where it doesn't have pretense about what it's trying to do. It just like is entertainment. You know what? Um, I, I, and some I, people I, love it. I would. Some people love it. And second of all, I bet you there's some good stuff that's written exclusively for for Kindle. No, I believe it. It, it just brings to mind old. You remember Eisenhower actually, when he was you know five star general of the war in Europe, uh, would every night before he go to sleep pull out some old Western book and just read through that before he went to bed. You've mentioned um, before. Really on the pod? On the pod, yeah. Oh wow! I you know it turns out I have like five things that I just mentioned over and over oh, again. Me, me too, guys. Like you guys called me on it twice today. No, I, it was it was a fun calling out, friend. They're both good points. Yours too, Andrew. I think it's okay, you know? It's fine. I think it's just a mark of how I'm going senile already. Um, I'll talk about this all the time. It just I notice that I'm just repeating things over and over again, that I sometimes forget what I'm doing or why I am in places, you know? It's just yeah. a slow decline. What I've noticed, there's two things I've noticed about getting old. One is that I can't eat anything I want whenever I want. Which I, I can, to. which I rub in his face all the time. No, I have no desire to, but I'm pretty sure in high school, I said this before, I could eat half a dozen donuts for breakfast, 
and then like run 10 miles before going to school. I never did that, but I'm positive that I could have if I wanted to. And now I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't eat that like quarter of a cupcake because then I'm going to feel sleepy in the afternoon. So that's a sad thing about getting old. <laughs> the other not sad thing, but remarkable thing about getting old is that my short-term memory is abysmal. <laughs> it's nuts. I'm glad it's not just me then. Yeah, you're good, Andrew. All right, let's wrap this up. It's been a good. It's been a good hour. Yeah. Well, um, before we do, um, let's. Uh, we. I was going to say let's pick a story for next time, but let's let's do that off the air. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Brothers F, and we'll see you next week. Peace. Bye. Hey everyone, this is Wemp. And I just wanted to make sure that you subscribe to The Brothers F on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you have Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, make sure to follow us there too. See you next time on The Brothers F.